Welcome to Off the Cuff with Congressman Jared Huffman. As a representative for California's 2nd Congressional District, Off the Cuff is my opportunity to talk with you about important issues and to introduce you to interesting people from the 2nd District and beyond. I always say that I'm fortunate to represent America's most beautiful congressional district, California's great North Coast, from the Golden Gate Bridge to the Oregon border. And together, with positive discussions and open dialogue, I know we can make our community an even better place to call home. It's unfiltered, it's direct, and it's honest. It's Off the Cuff with me, Congressman Jared Huffman. Congressman Jared Huffman here, and we are back with the third episode of my Off the Cuff podcast. I'm recording today from my new offices in Washington. We've actually moved offices for the 115th Congress. We're on the fourth floor of Longworth now, and we've been expecting uh, a lot of big fights in this Congress. Um, I'm not sure we expected them to begin so quickly. We have been debating a very controversial uh, package of rule changes that House Republicans pushed through. They uh, started to include a very controversial uh, proposal to eliminate the independent office of congressional ethics, the independent watchdog that polices members of Congress. Uh, because of a public backlash against that, and a thank you to those of my listeners who participated in that and made their voices heard, uh, the House Republicans backed down, and that was not included in their final rule package, but lots of other things were, including um, special changes to the fiscal accountability rules that normally require bills to be paid for. They've made it possible under these new rules so that as they attempt to repeal the Affordable Care Act and possibly give away large tracts of public land, they don't have to consider the fiscal impacts. So uh, lots of fights and already off to uh, a busy start in the 115th Congress. We've got a fantastic guest on this show, on this podcast. It's my colleague Tim Ryan from Ohio. But before we get to Tim, I want to go to a few questions that we've received on Facebook from some of our listeners. And let's start with Barry. Uh, Barry asks whether I will reintroduce uh, H.R. 4615 from the last Congress. This is a bill we call the Water Conservation Rebate Tax Parity Act. That's a mouthful. Um, yeah, Barry, to answer your question, yes, I will. What this bill does is really important, especially in the arid west, especially with our drought in California. It provides that uh, water efficiency rebates, which are a really important tool for water managers, are not deemed taxable income. And the reason we need to do that is the good folks at the IRS have decided that Congress has to be specific or else they have to deem it taxable income. Now they don't do that for energy rebates. Energy rebates are not considered income, but the IRS tells me that they feel like congressional intent on energy rebates is more clear than it is for water efficiency rebates, so I need to keep pushing with this bill. The good news is it's bipartisan. My co-sponsor is uh, Dana Rohrbacher from Southern California, Republican, and we are working very hard to line up as many co-sponsors as we can from both sides of the aisle so that we can hopefully get this passed uh, in this Congress, and we will keep you posted. Next question comes from Camille, and she asks a question that I'm actually getting a lot these days. Uh, and it's about how to make a political difference. Ordinary citizens are often told, call your congressman. Uh, but what else can she do, can you do, to make a difference and stand up against injustices? So uh, my answer to that is there's no one single thing uh, that I can point to, but there's 
many things that I hope everyone will try to do in their own lives. I think you've got to be an engaged citizen. I think that starts with following, uh, engaging in the daily decisions of your government at every level. I think people should be looking for opportunities to volunteer for causes that they care about. They may even need to participate in peaceful protests. I've got a lot of constituents who've been doing this for years, and that's an important part of grassroots politics that can really make a difference. But if you've never done that, my guess is that we're going to have some fights in the months and years ahead that may require many of us to participate in peaceful protests in order to stand our ground and uh, stand up for our core values. Uh, but I would also urge you to look for groups and associations, organizations that you think are doing really credible, important work because you have strength in numbers. And when you, when you can be part of an organization or a group that is doing good work, you can really leverage your involvement. And I'll do my best to give you a chance to be involved as well. I'm gonna be doing more town halls and public events than I've ever done before. That'll be a way for you to stay informed, to uh, share your feedback, be part of a dialogue with me. And I'll also be keeping in touch to the extent that I can uh, with my constituents very regularly, updating them on um, key developments here in Washington and also telling them when I think they need to engage, send emails, phone calls, etc. So thanks for the question and stay tuned because we're going to need you as an active citizen going forward. All right, so let's get to our conversation with Congressman Tim Ryan. All right, for my third podcast, I have a wonderful special guest, my colleague Tim Ryan from the 13th District of Ohio. Usually when Tim Ryan is in my office, I am uh, settling up a bet that we've made on the NBA championship. <laughs> yeah. Last time I was handing him a fine bottle of second Congressional District wine because his Cavaliers had beat my Warriors in Game 7. Yes. But the year yeah. before that I was getting some craft brew from yes, Ohio. Yes, Great Lakes, Great Lakes Ale yeah. from Cleveland. Yeah. So Tim, welcome to Off Thanks. the Cuff. Thank and you. for my listeners who may not be familiar with Tim Ryan, um, in addition to being the shortstop on our congressional baseball team. <laughs> You're starting with the most important yeah. parts of my resume. I appreciate that. And an all-around good guy. Um, he made national uh, news uh, last month by having the audacity uh, and the courage to challenge our Democratic leader, Nancy Pelosi. He came up short, uh, actually got dozens of votes in support. and uh, 63, but I mean... Who's counting? Yes, right. Right. And, and for the record, I supported Nancy Pelosi, but uh, but the truth and I is, came anyway. <laughs> I love this guy, and I agreed with so much of what he said, and, and I Thank think you. the challenge that he made um, was a helpful conversation and a positive one for our caucus. So, um, Tim, welcome, and let's let's start uh, by talking about the Midwest. Uh, you come from a district that you have described as sort of the model district that Democrats used to always connect with, but somehow in this last presidential election, we, we lost a lot of people. Mm -hmm. talk, talk about that. I think it's been longer than just this election. I think a lot of stuff came home to roost this year. Um, but I represent Northeast Ohio, just south of Cleveland, um, Youngstown, Ohio, Akron, Ohio, you will know the, the Bartlow family from Youngstown, oh, yes. the 49ers. So um, that family has been very prominent. And we all grew up in, uh, as San Francisco 49ers fans. We were Cleveland Browns fans. 
right. and we were San Francisco. Now 40. you're pandering to my Well, it's, it just happens to be true. And, <laughs> and Eddie DeBartolo Jr. would bring the team back and they would do a big fundraiser in Youngstown. And so as a kid growing up who played quarterback in high school, Joe Montana's like up the street, you know, and Ronnie Lott and the whole person. Anyway, but it was very working class. Um, And Youngstown now is half African-American, half working class white. Um, Akron's about 30% African-American, 70% working class white for the most part. And you have two towns there, Akron was rubber, it was the rubber capital of the world, Goodyear and mm-hmm. and and uh, BF Goodrich and all the rest were there, and there were thousands and thousands of rubber workers back in the day. Youngstown was steel, and the whistle would blow, and you know thousands of workers would right. would leave the shift. And I've got great pictures with guys with hard hats and lunch buckets walking out. And of course, the famous Springsteen song. There you have it, right? I mean, you know, you made it. So then, Otto. And, and just to give everybody a flavor of what it looked like in, in the recent uh, past, um, a General Motors plant that, that came there in just outside of Youngstown in 1966 had 16,000 workers. Mm-hmm. It now has three or four. Yeah. Um, the big supplier that did all the wire harnessing, Delphi, um, was at 13,000. They were primarily in one city in Warren. Uh, is now like about one or 2,000. So that was the erosion over 30 years yeah. that people watched. And, I, and it's part automation, but they also did close factories down in Warren, Ohio, and they moved them right over the border of Mexico and started right. shipping the product back. And we went from 13,000 workers down to two. So these guys are going, what are you trying to tell me? This is just, right. they didn't do that on purpose? Like, yeah. <laughs> I made... You know, I made 80 grand a year and the, the Mexican workers making, you know, a few bucks an hour. Yeah. I know what's, what's happening here. And so they felt like they had been sold out. The financial crisis happened. That was a huge blow and exacerbated all of those problems. And then as Democrats, we got stuck saying, no, it's, the economy's getting better. I mean, the stock market's at right. 18,000, 19,000. You know, uh, the labor market is tightening. Unemployment is under 5% again. You know, we would would rattle off a bunch of statistics and that didn't work. And we were never talking about middle class wages. I mean, we've been talking about minimum wage, which I'm for increase, you're for an increase, let's pick a number, 10, 11, 12, where where do you want to go? You know, we're for it. But the person making 15 bucks an hour and has been stuck there for 20 years did not feel like we were talking about them. Mm-hmm. And I think you add all this together, and obviously it was a dirty campaign, and there was right. a lot There were a lot on. of factors that so, went into the outcome. Yeah. But that person you're talking about um, used to always be with Democrats on economic issues, mm-hmm. right? That was the feeling that the Democratic Party had the back of the working class, even if they didn't always agree with us on some social issues, right? right? Is, that, is that an yeah. accurate characterization of the folks in your district? Yeah. And I think we saw it in this election that, you know, Trump had these crazy positions on on a Muslim ban and you know all these things he said. He had these crazy positions, but the heart of his message was economics. I'm going to help you do better. Now, I'm going to open up the coal mines. I'm going to open up the steel plants. I mean, the the connection with reality is tenuous. Yeah. <laughs> if he's going to be able to do that, which he's not. But he, he was talking directly to them 
in an economic sense. So that's why I say is is. Democrats, we can have positions that we feel very strongly about on equality and other issues, voting rights and these kind of things, but the thrust has got to be economics because it's the it's the thing that unites all the different groups of our. So you're not saying you're not saying, and your constituents aren't saying we have to choose. Uh, We just got to do a better job talking to them. Yeah, yeah. You got a running game. You got a passing game. You got to play defense. You got a good special team. You know we can walk and chew gum as Democrats. So your chair, you've been the chair of the Congressional mm-hmm. Manufacturing Caucus for mm-hmm. a number of years. What are the things that you think we can or should do for to revive manufacturing jobs? I think we got to realize first and foremost, be honest with people, the low end manufacturing that's very, you know, uh, labor intensive is probably not going to come yeah. back. I think it's unfair to tell people that it is. I think it's this. We're going to have a, a textile uh, renaissance yeah. in the United States. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just not going to happen. And I, that's where I take issue with a lot of what Trump said. You know, we're going to open the steel mills back up. Well, I mean, you know, we, we, had a billion, we have a billion dollar steel mill in Youngstown that opened five, six years ago. There's 400 workers there. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was great for the construction trades. It was about 1,500 construction workers for 18 months to build the thing, which was a huge boom for them, but now 350 workers. You get a natural gas power plant, it could be $2 billion of investment. There's 25 workers there right. when it's all set. And, and that's automation and technology. And yeah, it's just yeah. less wear and tear, it's not nuclear and all the rest. That makes it hard for us, doesn't that's, it? That's the biggest. Because that's, that's a tough transition, even if you want to help uh, manufacturing. Yeah. I mean, so we have in Youngstown the first um, of Obama's uh, innovation, manufacturing innovation institutes, and it's an additive manufacturing, so the 3D printing and all the rest, which is, you know, it's a phenomenal thing for our community. It pales in comparison to the steel mill that had 20,000 people working there and would walk out in a shift, you know, hundreds of thousands of workers. Um, and so the advanced manufacturing the additive manufacturing, we've got to continue to move in this direction and I think figure out how to drive defense money uh, and transportation money and other money that, that the federal government spends in the communities like mine. Now, you find this very interesting that we have a, an issue with getting defense contracts. So our advanced manufacturers mm-hmm. uh, have to download files from their you know, the main supplier, the main contractor to the sub, to the tier one, tier two, tier three. We don't have the broadband capacity in Youngstown. Oh, now you're talking my language. I got some broadband deserts in the second congressional district. Right, so to be able to download the file to do the advanced manufacturing, we lack that capability. We need broadband in every corner of of the country. And to me, that's a way to start putting people back to work it's something that's needed, it's not make work, and it begins to set us on a new trajectory as a country. Because now you, you, if there's broadband in coal country, in Youngstown, and in Silicon Valley, now you're really starting to tap into all the talent and skills that we have in the country, tap into the maker movement, everybody's getting on board, yeah. and everybody can participate. And that's just the job side of things. Put, put aside education, healthcare, everything else that's gonna need that broadband connectivity, Right. just so folks can, can be part of the quality of life that we want for them. Yeah, gotta build it out. You know, so here you have a guy from Northern California and a guy from Youngstown saying, 
the future of our economy needs to be this new interstate highway called broadband capabilities so that every community could access it. You know, and so that's the upgrade, and that's what Democrats should really be pounding on because I think it can do two things. One, it can hire a lot of people that need to go to work, and two, it changes the trajectory. So if we innovate in our education, we build this out, we bring Medicare down to 55 so those older workers can have health care, uh, and you start to change the trajectory of the country. So I, I didn't plan to wonk out on broadband issues with Let's you, but you brought Come it up. On. Let's do it. Uh, and I spend a lot of time on this, trying to figure out how can we get fiber out into some of the remote rural areas that I represent. And the economics are tough. And, and waiting around for the uh, for the incumbent telecom companies to <laughs> somehow get interested in the coast yeah. of Mendocino County or in <laughs> Trinity County and other places is you're going to be waiting a long time. Do you have any thoughts on how to uh, either incentivize or mandate uh, service in some of these underserved areas? I think you know you got to bring them in and figure out how to do it. I don't have an answer at the tip of my tongue, um, but to me, it's worth the government investment or tax expenditure or however we would put it together. Well, we'll work to together on that. I would we'll love see to see if we can come up with some ideas that would serve Youngstown and. Well, I think Point if, we, Arena. if we start getting into the idea of how many jobs is it going to create, because yeah. I think what's going to happen is, this is total speculation on my part, but Trump is not going to open the coal mines and, he's, and, and maybe in some instances the steel mills or these kind of things. That's not going to happen. And we've kind of been growing. I think you know we're, we're facing probably in the rain, or realm of a recession at some point, just a natural cycle of things. What goes up? People are going to be very disappointed in him not meeting his own expectation levels that he set for himself. And people, I think, are going to stop saying, well, that's the government that's going to do it. I think they're, it's going to be like the department. People aren't going to care. Just put me to work. Mm -hmm. And if it's going to serve a greater economic good, if it's going to lead to a greater economic expansion, I think the American people were for it. So if you and I start talking about this now, and making the case now, and talking about the jobs now, and the investment now. And the thing is, it goes in every community. Yeah, good, good stuff. So you are, by congressional standards, a young guy. Um, I love Congress in that way. It's, it's the only place where, at, at age 52, a little gray doesn't matter. <laughs> age 52, I'm at the younger yeah. end of the scale. Um, but but I think you're also part of the the next generation of leaders here among House Democrats and uh, nationally among. Uh, Democrats, what do you want the people of America to think about the Democratic caucus and about the Democratic Party um, as we go forward from here, as a new generation begins to assert itself? I'd say two things. I'd say one, um, we get you. You know, we understand what you're going through. We know how hard it is. We know how tough it can be out there. Um, and not just intellectually, you know, we've got to be a party that, that just feel, not to Bill Clinton, but feel your pain. I mean, mm -hmm. we've got to, we got, they don't, most people don't think we understand how hard it is for them, paycheck to paycheck. I mean, we, we all know the statistics. I bet if you went in our caucus, everybody would tell you that wages have been stagnant for the bottom 90% of people for 20 or 30 years. Mm -hmm. We all know that. But... You know, the, the, the pain of 
um, your kid not being able to get health care, or you can't go on a vacation anymore, or you got to drive down, drive this crappy car around town, and the neighbor's getting a new one. I mean, that just right. it it pains people to think that they're not giving their kids as much as they really want. And we want them to know we live in the real world, and we get when we're busting our rear ends every day to try to help you. And then the second one is we need to be the party of ideas. You know, we've got to be the party of ideas, mm -hmm. and I think you're one of the leaders in, in coming up with new ideas. As I thought, from where you come from, is the, you know, the, the pinnacle in our country of for ideas. It's because we're from. mindful, Tim. It is because we're going to come back to that. Okay. Moment. <laughs> That's a big part of it. it. Has something to do with the wine, I think. Yeah, there's a lot that goes the coast and the water. And the, yeah, um, but that would be the two things. I'd say this: let's be an idea factory. The economy changed, and not to get too much mm -hmm. into this, but you know, when the industrial age was coming, it was the Democrats and the unions that said, "Boy, this economy shifted. What do we got to do to take care of our people?" Right. Forty-hour work week, time and a half, pensions, Social Security, involved into Medicare, workplace safety, all of these things, because we were addressing the economic concerns of the time. Now the economy has. It's just getting blown up every couple of years, right? New, new right. stuff, driverless trucks, yeah. right? When in 23 or 25 or 28 states, the number one job is truck driving. Yeah. What the hell are we going to do? That's a big deal. It's what are we going to do, Jerry? I mean, like, yeah. we've, got, we've got to be the party yeah. that can look at those Teamster drivers, yeah. the people pushing around at the, at the, uh, at the coal uh, facility. We're going to be the party to help you. And it, it ain't cut taxes well, for the top one percent. We're going to have to be looking out at the horizon too, because I've talked to Teamsters about that issue. Yeah. And they're not too worried right now because they're going to have truck drivers that have to sit next to the automated truck, mm -hmm. you know, for the next few years as it gets validated and verified. But right. Hey, the next few years is not a long time. I don't know how you feel, but the older I get, the quicker it goes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Donald Trump is about to become president. I keep thinking I'll wake up and it's all been a bad dream, but uh, this is this is the new political reality. And there's a there's a healthy debate uh, among Democrats about whether we should give him the same treatment that congressional Republicans gave President Obama, basically zero chance for bipartisan success, or whether we should be the adults in the room and look out for the American people and where we can get things done, get them done, while standing our ground and fighting where we feel like we have to. Where, where do you fall in that continuum? And, and if you think there are ways to work together, what are some specific ones? It pains me to say this, because I was in the fight with you and everyone else in the election, but I think you gotta let him make proposals and send them to Congress, and we've gotta look at them, and before we judge, um, you know, an eye for an eye, leaves a room full of blind people, you know, and I, I, I know I was raised better than that. doesn't mean I don't fear off and, and, and you want to do what Mitch McConnell did, but I remember when he did it and I thought that is the most disrespectful, you know, thing you could do and to somebody who just the American people elected him. There are people in our base though that say, ah, but it worked. Did it? I think that's debatable. I mean, yeah. did it work? Here we are with right. Donald Trump. Because Donald Trump took advantage of that, he threw gasoline on that, the, you know, making Obama seem illegitimate as a president. We're not even going to work with him. We're not going to appoint his Supreme Court people or confirm the Supreme Court people. 
And so, yeah, Donald Trump took advantage of that, and now look where we are. Yeah. Our country's a heck of a lot more fractured. Yeah. I think we've got to try, and if we want those working class people to come back to us, we need to look like we really made an effort, or they're going to say, you tried to screw them from the beginning. Yeah. You didn't even try to work with them. Everybody, everything he said, every tweet he sent out, you had a comment, you had a press release, you were fighting them every step of the way, you didn't even give the guy a chance. That's very unfair, but a lot of those people voted for Obama twice right. and were mad at the gridlock and mad at this. No, I agree with you. I, I think if, if Donald Trump surprises us and puts a trillion dollar infrastructure package on the table that's real, good old Keynesian uh, infrastructure, yep, that doesn't screw workers, that, uh, that allocates this money intelligently and fairly and isn't a bunch of tax cuts for the rich, yeah. uh, we would be crazy not broadband. to work with him on those terms. Broadband, that's right. Say, you're going to go back home yeah. and say, no. Now, I don't think he's going to do that. I don't either. But I think you're right. We have to give him the chance to do that so that when he disappoints us, probably, um, we've got credibility as we stand our ground and fight. Not the boy who called Wolf. Yeah. Okay, how about trade? That's one where uh, you know we find ourselves in agreement with Donald Trump, at least at the surface, mm -hmm. where he has criticized some of these trade deals, where he's opposed TPP, but we don't know what a Donald Trump trade deal looks like. And we've got to be careful because um, the, the supply chains have gotten so integrated since NAFTA, since most favored nation trade status with China, that you know, you got to be really careful. So he tweeted about the GM car the other day, which mm -hmm. was made in my district. He got it all screwed up. He mm -hmm. was talking about the cruise. It was the hatchback. Right. But details, <laughs> details. details. <laughs> um, and, and so if he puts a 15% tariff on all of the products coming back into China that then get assembled in my district and go into the Chevy Cruise, which is a really yeah. high-quality, um, reasonably priced car for average people who haven't seen it. Right. pay raise in 30 years, it's a pretty good car. Yeah, but he's uh, unwittingly sticking it to American workers. Price goes up. Yeah. So, and then, then the, what does Mexico do to our exports? And does that cost us exports and then jobs? It's just gotten so integrated right. in the last 20 or 30 years that we, it, you're not gonna solve it in 140 characters. Yeah. You, gotta, you gotta sit down and figure out, okay, what do we do here, what do we do there? And I think you know, tax reform may be a part of it. A lot of people say, you know, uh, Republicans say, um, broaden the base, lower the rates. That's bad for manufacturing because manufacturers use a lot of depreciation. They use a lot of those incentives in the tax code. And I think there's a public policy argument to be made for, you know, manufacturing jobs and defense industrial base and making things. A certain part of your economy has to be about making things. So we've got to be very careful. And it's gonna, if he's going to do it, he needs to sit down and do it Thoughtfully. Trump, careful, thoughtful. Um, <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Hey, I want to uh, come back to mindfulness because I promised we would talk about that. The, uh, part of Tim Ryan that most people don't appreciate is that uh, he is uh, a leader in meditation and mindfulness. Uh, there's actually a, a room down in the house gym. Uh, I won't get into details about this secret chamber, but uh, it's a place where you go to uh, have some quiet time and practice mindfulness. Yeah. And this ties into my congressional district because you've actually spent some time meditating in Marin County at a place called Spirit Rock. So tell uh -huh. us about that and what it means to you, how it helps you keep your sanity around here. <laughs> it's very useful. I spent, I think, 
two retreats at Spirit Rock that I did. One was a week long. Amazing teachers there. It's one of my favorite places in the world. Um, and it just helps me keep my sanity. You know, I got into it back in the day when I was playing sports. I read a lot about Phil Jackson, and he was doing it with the Bulls, Chicago Bulls basketball team, and then the Lakers, and they would win. And I thought, well, this is pretty cool. Like, what's he doing? And I learned uh, Centering Prayer, which was a Catholic meditation that a priest taught me back home. And I actually went to a retreat in Sam Farr's district. I forget the name of it. Our Lady of something. Mm -hmm. Good Catholic boy. Second most beautiful district in America. There you go. <laughs> right beyond Youngstown. Third. Um, and it just, it, you know, you just, you, you calm your body down. Your mind calms down. Your mind gets steady. You're more focused. You're less distracted. I'm a nicer husband, a better dad, you know, and a, I think a more level-headed leader, you know. But it helps, I think, over time it's helped me um, not get so caught up in the, and you, you naturally do this, the ego part of the job, you know, the, the staff, mm -hmm. you know, treating you like... Everybody calling you congressman. Congressman, yes. congressman, oh congressman, can you come here, congressman, can you come there? It can, you know, you see it get to people and I think it helps keep, you know, Meditation and going home to my wife. She right. has a nice way of bringing yes. me back down there. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, before you come in the house, can you take out the garbage? Right. Can sweep the garage. You know? <laughs> Very humbling. Keep but it's great, real. and I recommend it. And I, I, I wrote a book called A Mindful Nation, and I talk about how it's helpful with schools. A lot of schools are implementing it. Veterans are using it to handle post-traumatic stress without lots of medication. Actually getting them off of their meds um, and the defense department is using it for training purposes. A lot of corporations are using it now, Google and a lot of the Silicon Valley companies are using it. So that's it's, great. It's uh, future of healthcare or self-care, so it's the best way to go. Good stuff. Well, last question for you. Um, spring will be here before we know it and among certain members of Congress, spring means early morning baseball practice. Ugh. People hear about the congressional baseball game, which has been going on for like a century, and mm -hmm. yeah, they may not understand how seriously we actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my family comes down. Your family was here last yeah. time, right? So yeah, I would like to hear a prediction about the 2017 congressional baseball game, and maybe a scouting report on the Democratic team. Tim, Tim, as I mentioned, is is a shortstop. He's a Great athlete. He hit a triple in this year's game. I think there was someone else in that triple. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. We don't forget these things, do we? <laughs> but for the first time in seven years, we actually dropped one to the Republicans. Yeah. What Are we going to win, win this thing back? Uh, we need some pitching. So, you know, I mean, if there's anybody that can primary you in, a, in your congressional district that's a pitcher. Yeah, that's the only exception. <laughs> we can get third base covered. Um, not, you know, uh, our, our star pitcher is like, you know, getting a little long in the tooth. I think he's... 39? Yeah, he's like 50. <laughs> he used to throw fastballs like 70 miles an hour that nobody can hit, and now they're 50 mile an hour bloopers. Yeah, Cedric so, Richmond from... From, from Louisiana, and he yeah. just became chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. Yeah. So he's going to be a busy guy. Yeah. Well, you know, it was the night of the sit-in. 
or the, the the game was that's right the next night so we had all been up all night doing the gun violence sit-in on the house floor mm -hmm. so we had lots of excuses that's that's a pretty good one though yeah that's a pretty good one but it was it's a lot of fun and uh, after the just to wrap it up um, I was real proud of this triple that I hit and and I uh, asked my wife after I saw her up we were up at the after party I said, hey, babe, did you see that triple? Because she, she didn't say anything about it. She said, oh, yeah, I saw it. I said, what? She goes, everybody in the stand said that if you had any speed at all, it would have been an inside the park home run. <laughs> they told me the same it's, about mine. Did they? Well, we were hobbling around the bases. All right. Well, we're going to work on our speed this year. Yes, sir. Tim Ryan, it's great to have you as a colleague. Great Thank to you. have you on my podcast. Thanks. It's great. Off the Cuff is produced by Marin's own Tales Untold Media. Our music is also local, provided by Temp Love. Don't miss out on future episodes of Off the Cuff. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Just search for Off the Cuff with Jared Huffman. 